Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Dialogue De Novo. I'm Jake Rome. Today's show is part two of our interview with Nico Ospina. If you haven't yet listened to part one, I would recommend doing so before tuning into this episode. This episode is perhaps the most heated debate we've had on our show to this point. Uh, as a reminder, you're going to be jumping in on hour three of our discussion, and it's about 10 o'clock at night. And in this half, we discuss whether the American rule of law, and specifically the Constitution, could have arisen in the absence of Judeo-Christian values. We debate the importance of the Enlightenment era. And then finally, we discuss Nico's point of view on free will. Like I said, it gets a little tense at some parts, but it was all in the interest of learning more and academic rigor, so I hope you enjoy it. So without further ado, please give it up for part two of the great and powerful Nico Ospina. And we're back. Okay. All right. So we wanted to get into some of the major points that Nico sent us pre-interview. First off, let's kick it off with, is there evidence for God? Yeah. I I mean, we can revisit the subject, but I think um, I kind of touched on it. Right. In the first part, I mean, if there's anything you want to ask in specific, maybe I can try to answer. No, I mean, I think I brought up most of the examples that I had, which was the Aristotelian idea, which is the logical conclusion of God, but that's not evidence, right? Right. So there, there are thought experiments that you can do. Uh, Arist- Aristotle, obviously, he had the idea of the unmoved mover, which is mm-hmm. that everything in the universe has a telos, a purpose, mm-hmm. which means that it needs something to act on it in order for it to fulfill its purpose, such as a candle needs a flame in order right. for it to melt. And it's a virtuous claim. Right, and so but you it can still do needs infinite back. Re- regressions back to the point of origin, which means there needs to be something that can actualize other things, but needs no actual actualization on right. itself. And again, it's not that I'm uh, resistant that idea sure it's the fact that there's no evidence for right. It, right it's not so here's the thing anybody can make any subjective claim about the origins of the universe that's well, fine it, it would need to be logically consistent right to a degree right so so here's where uh religious people lose mm-hmm. even i mean i'm not talking about uh i'm talking about intellectuals i mean people who are way smarter than me right you know this is where they lose me when they give me rational arguments based in rationality grounded in materiality and then they lose me when they bring up metaphysics uh-huh that's where i get lost right, right, right. because even it's if the introduction of the supernatural right, e- here's yes. the thing even if it makes sense mm-hmm. i get lost mm-hmm. and here's my biggest criticism it's not so much that again i'm not against people believing in things that are metaphysical i actually encourage it i believe that a secular state should have that that's the that's the whole idea of a market of ideas, right? right. Everybody should be able to believe what they. Well, think. a secular state should encourage all brands of thought. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. As long as it's not uh, infiltrated into the 
into system policy of government. Making. Yeah, right. Correct policy making. So, so I'm not really against that. The problem is when you bring up factual claims that are demonstrable and that have been observed and can be repeated through experiment, and they blatantly reject it based on faith. Okay. Right. Yeah, or you bring up a factual claim and you substantiate it on the basis of, like, right. of faith. Yeah. yeah, I think that's I a better way to yeah, put it. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, you know, I like to think of um, there's this Greek mythology story about Apollo who falls in love with Cassandra. Yes. Okay. Who is a princess of Troy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, in order to court her, he grants her the power of prophecy. Yes. Uh, eventually, Cassandra stops responding to Apollo's advances. Uh, so eventually he... Ghosts him. He ghosts him. Yeah. And he gets so angry that he curses her. So he leaves the power to prophesize, but he also uh, uh, curses her with that no one will believe her prophecies. Mm-hmm. So she's cursed for eternity and that she can read into the future, but nobody will ever believe her. Mm-hmm. Um and I think it's kind of like that's what religion has become really good at. Um, um, I mean, I guess this is the fate of science now, <clears throat> where you can prophesize, you can see into the, you can see the facts in front of you, and no one will believe you. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of the uh, Shakespearean idea of the blind seer, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, so, I don't want to get too bogged down into that because I don't think that's really. I don't think that you came on the show with the intent of providing evidence or the lack thereof for God. I mean, that's that's more of Richard Dawkins is a good guy to read if you want more substance on that. But I don't think that that is the bread and butter of what we're going to talk about. Okay. Um, <clears throat> it's not really what I'm interested in, in terms of uh, having to defend the theist position, is not whether or not there is evidence for God. I, I agree. I think there's a crucial part that we're missing because I think we're set, we're we're hitting a lot on organized religion as opposed to just the whether or not God exists. The question is, is there evidence for God? So whether or not God exists as opposed to whether or not any one religion is correct. So mm-hmm. I don't know if, did we want to touch any more on that or... What specifically is the distinction that you're drawing between there's what a, we just said? There's a chance that the religions, that organized religions as a whole currently are wrong, but that does not disprove the fact that God exists. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that you could make that argument. And that's actually a note that I jotted down from when you sent me these 10 bullet points, which we went over more than we needed to in the, in the prior three in, hours. In the, fir- in the first part. In yeah. the first three hours. Uh was that a conclusion you could draw from reading your 10 bullet points is that it doesn't appear to make a... You don't appear to formulate an argument for a scientific or objective morality that is completely divorced from the idea of a creator or a god. Uh, That the argument you formulate is more that our current system of morality or society as it exists empirically and descriptively on the ground right now does not embody the correct morality of God. So Uh, so here's the sin I'm committing. This is my sin. Okay. I'm saying that we are the masters of our own destiny. Mm -hmm. Right? This completely contradicts any religious doctrine. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scroll. That's 
Invictus, go ahead. <laughs> I am the master what? of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. No one's read Invictus. Uh, right. So Poetry? Seriously. I do not get to throw out poetry often. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. Well, have your moment, Richard. Thank you. I, I, so, I will revel in it. So, so the, the whole point I'm trying to make is that uh, even these religious claims about what is morally right and morally wrong are social constructs. Mm-hmm. That derive from our own making. Mm-hmm. So it's not so much that they're wrong per se, is that they're flawed. And that's the distinction I want to make. Okay. Because religious people claim that they are absolute. Mm-hmm. You do not question it. This is revelation. This Beyond is the word of God. Yes. yes. So what I'm trying to claim is that even though they might be flawed, there are some good things we can take out of them. But we can do better. So just so I want to crystallize your position on this. Yeah. Your position is not that it's just the reli- it's it's not just the religions we have before us. It's any religion that could come before us is going to be secondary to what science can tell us about morality and and human- in a sense yes, but again, I want to make the distinction I'm not attacking religion alone. I'm just attacking any dogmatic claim. Okay. Any right. absolutist claim. Fair Anything enough. that re- that that requires obedience without evidence. Okay. So that so, rebuts yeah. my challenge that I had there. So I I'm I'm good with moving on to the next point. Yeah. I, okay. I've said I've mentioned many times on this podcast. I actually hold a pretty steadfast belief that there is no such thing as universal truths. So I'm with you there. Um, I the, tried to bring this up last time with Kate Malcolm. About the idea of uh, objective morality or objective truth. Yeah. You know, but because but, I think that this really does tie into a lot of the political conversations we have as well. You know, the, this idea of standpoint epistemology and the idea that everyone has their own perception of reality that are to be treated equally in the public sphere. That you come to the town square and you can speak, quote unquote, your truth, and that that is to be treated with equal validity to everyone else's truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that's really, I think that's a, that's to me is a second tier conversation that we're not having at the moment. And that is a reason why I think the right and the left are talking past each other quite a bit. Sure. I mean, there's, it also discounts people who are not living in reality like that. It, it, it claim, gives a, a stance in, you can come and speak of your own truth. Well, that there are certain people that aren't living in an object. There are certain people that think that the refrigerator is talking to them. Mm. That doesn't fall into that point. That that would you can't take that as seriously as you would take someone else who is quote unquote speaking their truth. Well, I mean, this even happens in science where we have to eliminate certain opinions about science, right? I mean, like I've never taken a high level physics class. I could theoretically walk into a physics conference and start making comments on string theory. Right, so and they would need so, to eliminate my so my what opinion I, what I when love, what I love evaluating about, the literature. What I love about this country is that you you have the right to speak your mind. Obviously, there's limits to that, but that does not entail that every opinion requires the same level of respect. So we respect the fact that everyone has the right to voice their opinions, mm-hmm. but does that does not entail that all ideas are thus equal. It's the Alex Jones. And I think a lot of people make that misconception. Right. So 
just quickly touch on the subject you talked about, you know, the left and right here. Yes. I think the major problem from, you know, this is my subjective view, is that the right is focusing a lot on the First Amendment. Freedom of speech. Yes. And they feel that that's being attacked and infringed. Mm -hmm. The people on the left are more focused on the 14th Amendment and civil rights. Equality. Equality. Yes. So, you know, I, I'm not an expert on the subject, but I try really hard to listen to both sides. Mm -hmm. And both sides have meritorious claims. I agree. And one by itself is hell. If you just have free speech without equality, that leads to nowhere. And if you just have equality uh, without free speech, then you have an Orwellian system. Right, <laughs> right, right. Um, right. I mean, communist China did pretty well with uh, the whole equality. You can pick any of your socialist countries, yeah. Right. I mean, um, Venezuela is doing great with it right now. Well, everyone's equal, but everyone's Everybody poor. criticizes Venezuela. I mean, <clears throat> Venezuela is doing horrible. I mean, this is from a, a Colombian who's neighbor to Venezuela and who's seen the influx of migrants. The problem with Venezuela, I think, is that it's it's if you, if you want to see the dangers, and this is a subjective claim, if you want to see the dangers of a victim culturehood, look at the way Venezuela is handling its internal politics, because it does not attribute any fault to its own doing. It's always blaming outside factors. Yes. It's always the Colombian government. It's always the American imperialists. It's always these international forces that are impeding its uh, pure Bolivarian revolution. Uh, and I'm not saying that that's wrong or right. What I'm saying is that it shields any source of honest discourse about what's really going on. Well, I mean, it allows, yourself, it allows you to blanket yourself from ridicule. And uh -huh. I think that we in the United States have this self-conception that we are more than a skip and a hop away from something like Venezuela. I think that we like to think that there are safeguards in place. Yeah. But my fear is is that I can remember, I'm old enough to remember less than a decade ago when Hugo Chavez was the king and he was the most beloved feature in Venezuela. And that was when you know we had nationalized oil in Venezuela and it was booming and everybody was doing great. And then the price of oil tanks. And next thing you know, you're left with a government without a culture and you're left with a people without a voice so so when you talk about um you know venezuela when i when, when i say bolivarian venezuela that's the leftist venezuela because hugo chavez made an emphasis on simon bolivar mm -hmm. who's um, i guess the equivalent of george washington who fought for our independence from spain uh that's his hero that's who he attaches you know the struggle to um they do have a culture. I mean, I don't think it's right to say that they don't have a culture. But it's a culture where it's structured in a way that it shields any sort of criticism by claiming that it's not of their own doing, but it's of others. Does that make sense? <clears throat> I guess I want to clarify what I was saying. Yeah. I, from all of of my investigation and limited understanding of Venezuela, do not see the fact that they have a culture around a, a unified national identity of what their government is the way that America is. I don't see that they have a national central creed as to what the government's purpose should serve the way that the United States does. 
because it's pretty easy within, you know, a couple of study sessions to understand what the national identity of the United States is by reading the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights. Yeah. I don't see that being the same for Venezuela. No, no. And, and, and that's what I'm trying to say. Like, if, again, this is just from a, someone who's not a U.S. citizen. I'm not a U.S. citizen. I am the embodiment of taxation without representation. I am a U.S. citizen. I'm a U.S. resident. I'm a lawful U.S. resident who cannot vote, but is still taxed. <laughs> so I am taxation without representation. Mm -hmm. But what I, what I, I think I think what I see is that there's a struggle between freedom of speech and equality. Yes. Uh, no, that is the, that is the central most tension. And that so, for example, when you see cases in the Supreme Court that uphold hate speech, it's a victory for the right. Well, right. I'm just I, I'm just I saying. Wanna, I'm, I want to heavily I'm, put a coda on I'm the end just, of that. I'm just looking at the the, the political yeah. a, uh, atmosphere and animosity that you see. In, in today's politics, right? Because sure. if you look at a lot of, uh, especially the, the academic campuses, that's exactly what they're trying to do. They're trying to curtail hate speech. And they have good reasons for it, right? You know, and you can debate it. I, I would also argue that they're heavily left-leaning. but Right, yeah. right, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. what I'm trying to say is because I, I think they're focusing more on equality, which is also something to strive for. So when you have cases that, for example, let me give you an example. When you have cases that uh, make it constitutional to desecrate the flag, that's a victory for the left. The right maybe might not be so inclined to accept that as something that they'd like to see. No, I'd say that. Well, I mean, it's a victory. I, I mean, it's a as far as curtailing speech, I hear you there. But as far as, I don't know. I also think that there's a fundamental point that's missed in the whole curtailing hate speech on campuses. And that's the, the objective good that can come from allowing someone who is giving hate-filled messages, who's uh, saying hate-filled messages to large crowds of people. There's First off, you hear the ideas, now you know how to beat them. Mm -hmm. The second part is that we don't... Okay. Um, I'm going to use anti-Semitism because it's the easiest for me. Okay. When, if someone were to come on and give a very anti, to come on campus and give a very anti-Semitic speech, I now know who that person is and I know what beliefs they, but what they're espousing. Having said that, I could know that before. Now I also know everyone in my area and community who not only who I can go there, I can hear exactly what they say and I can see the people who are applauding what they're saying, who's, who are agreeing, who are nodding along with what he's saying. And now all of those people are instantly predictable to me. I'm able to, yeah, I'm able to discern, you know, you have an extra leg up. So there's, I think that point is missed as well. Yeah. So I've always thought about, um, imagine there was a derogatory term for white Colombians with Italian ancestry. Can we come up with one? Um, I th isn't that just WAP? <laughs> Let's say it's a WAP, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, it was just uh, Italian. Uh, or a something that, like, really <clears throat> speaks to who I am. And people okay. use it in a derogatory way. And let's say there's a champion of that idea who wants to come give a lecture at Loyola. Yeah, 
Is it going to offend me? Absolutely. Do I want him to give this speech? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Because I think, um, for me, it's important to understand not so much what the person is saying, but why he's saying what he's saying, right? So last year I went to the uh, gay uh, pride, the, the pride parade here yeah. in, in yeah. Chicago. Yeah. Um, and there's always like this small section when you have like these very religious people holding their banners saying, you know, homosexuality sure. is a sin. And, and people get The Westboro really, Baptist Church right, types. Right, yeah, right. yeah. I'm not saying that this speaks for religion, I'm just saying these are radicals, right? Yes. And, and people get really upset when they see that, right? And mm-hmm. always their reaction is they shouldn't be here. Uh, but it's I kind of what those people want. Right, right. But it's not so much about that. What, yeah. I, what I try to tell, you know, my, my friends is I'm actually glad they're here not because i agree with them i actually do not but that's what opens the way for new ideas if you go back 60 years ago it was the gay movement that was in a little corner trying to be heard hmm. right well, and, if you go back 60 years ago it was the anti-segregation right you, know, you have so so i think I mean, my, pre- my, my preserving position, that is important why I, I think why the, I the am counter argument would be those two movements were successful the anti-segregationist and the gay movement so if you allow the, and I, I'm on board with you, I think those people should be allowed to protest as well. But if you allow them to protest, that there is a chance yeah. that their message I totally, I totally but, agree with you. I mean, that you have to leave that open to the public, right? Mm-hmm. A, a small group of people, the lawmakers, the people that pass the permits, can't make those decisions. Mm-hmm. It's sunlight is the best disinfectant. And the reason that I consider myself a conservative and the reason that I stand up for the First Amendment is not because of the people I hate. It's because of the people that I love and I care about. Every single civil rights movement in this country's history has been successful because of the First Amendment. Mm-hmm. Because of their right to protest. You went to the gay rights movement, the, the gay rights march, the parade. That's the First Amendment. Mm-hmm. The people mm-hmm. standing there with the hateful signs, yeah. also the First Amendment. There's also. I, I, I guess my whole point is fear is not good policy. And I think that's what dominated... The 2016 presidential election fear yeah fear from left and right and and if you look at, at the media today it's just fear and it's just it's just the other side has it's, it's binary it's black and white right you're with us or against us there's no room for discourse um that's why we started this podcast <laughs> just a, just the point in there it, let's let's say we were let's say we're in the middle of world war ii if Nazi Germany was broadcasting their exact plan on TV or radio in English, do you think America would be paying attention? Even though they despise what the Nazis were standing for. Yes, because yes. that's the best way to defeat it. <clears throat> so They had their fireside chats with FDR and they would tune right into the Nazis yeah. afterwards. Right. It's it's a it, it's the easiest way to if you're if you want to defeat an idea, hear it out. Don't shut it down because Formulate an idea against it. These things are going to bubble up. They're not going to go away. Well, so this is the you Kate, want to minimize. This it. is the point yeah. that I was trying to make with Kate Malcolm last week when we were talking about gender identity and how language doesn't change ideas. Only other ideas can change ideas. So yeah. we were talking about the whole transgender issue and how a lot of it is right now social movement by fiat by trying to uh, impose the importance of pronouns on other people. But a lot of this is, I feel like, trading on the goodwill of the gay rights movement that came out of a hard fart, a hard fart, 
hard-fought struggle in the 80s and 90s. They were nobody's friends in the 90s, the gay rights movement. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of that is, is trading on the goodwill from that, but uh, I think that they have a path forward where they can win popular opinion, but a lot of it at the moment is focusing on pronoun use and how you can control the way other people feel and, and think about certain situations. And I think that that's ill-advised, especially because it is a movement that I do support. As a libertarian, I fully support it. And I know that it hits close to home to some of us sitting at the table right now, and I, I wish to see it be successful, but I don't think that shouting down people for using the incorrect pronouns is the way forward. Yeah, I don't want to go off on a, too far of a tangent here, but I did want to say I I, I hear you, and I think a when it comes to the pronoun usage, there is a comparison to be made to the Mrs., Miss, and Ms. When Ms. was introduced in the, I believe, 70s. I think it was earlier. Yeah, I think it was 60s. 50s. But it took a while for that to catch on. Yeah. There was, there had, I think Ms. Magazine had a lot to do with it, but it, it took a while for that to catch on, but we've all accepted it. Mm-hmm. That was a slow change, but that was a that was giving society a time, time to catch up. So do you think that the imposition of the use of Ms. is what changed the minds? Or was it societal changes working as sort of undercurrents to it? I think we got used to it. You think that's what it is? Instead of people shouting down other people, I think it was a... There was a concerted effort to introduce that, and it it took a while for people to get used to it, and now it's in the normal lexicon. Yeah. Yeah, you might be right. You might be right. I, I have fear about it because I, I don't think that imposition by fiat usually works out well. I think the problem is the quantity of new pronouns and words being introduced. But anyway. That's, that's a different Let's story. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I guess what I want to just conclude this with yeah. is these are highly complex problems. Yeah. This is not something that's easily solved and people like to jump into conclusions about what's right and wrong and I think it's important to hear the other side because as, as you as you um, alluded to I this this hits close to home I have a transsexual sister yeah right yeah, you mentioned that um, which I love dearly and I support her a hundred percent and uh, I actually help my parents accept her identity um, through discussion, you know, wasn't threats or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess as parents, they were just worried that she would change her mind, you know. So I try to give her both sides of the discussion, you know. It's either genetic or it can be psychological, you know. The important thing is that it's her decision and she's happy moving forward. And mm-hmm. I think what she needs right now more than anything is support. But I also, so I'm, I'm all for, you know, transgender rights. I mean, same. Again, this is not, this is, this goes more than just objective. This is subjective for me because this is my family. Mm-hmm. Sure. But at the same time, I hear the warnings from the right. Because when you try to censor certain types of language, that can be problematic. Maybe not in the, at the situation at hand, maybe not at short term, but you can, you can, you know, we know that when you get a rule of law, it can be you know, applied or interpreted differently down the road. 
and that's what worries me sometimes. So I'm just, I'm just, we should yield, right? We should yield. Some people just want to speed right through it. Some people want to make a full hit stop. I think we should just take, just yield. Well, you risk making the worst instincts of your political opponent more attractive, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, uh, like, I mean, there is a strain on the right that enjoys demeaning yeah. these these types of at-risk populations and if you drive them underground you're just going to make it more enticing in a way like it, doing right. a deal but with again, the devil type I, of thing i agree a hundred percent but then we shouldn't jump to the conclusion and then ridicule should not be allowed because uh if you look at free countries democratic countries i think you can you can measure the freedom the country really holds on how much comedy and ridicule is allowed mm. on its populace and its government because mm. there's tons of countries where you have in their constitutions where they claim free you know there's freedom of speech you can say whatever you want but the moment you say the wrong thing you disappear you're liquidated there's not even the due process is non-existent <laughs> you're you're gone you know yeah, uh, the word you're looking for is liquefied. Li- yeah, yeah, you're liquefied in an embassy. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about. All right, do we want to do we want to do hit can religion and science coexist? I feel like we've already touched on that. Yeah, that's good. Uh, is there anything you want to say about it? You know what? Yes. Actually, before we before we do, I wanted to touch on what you and you were just saying. Um, I think there's, there's a, been no brevity in this episode yeah. up until now. Why? Why start? <laughs> I, I think I, I think there's a problem, especially, and I can't really speak to other countries, but I think there's a problem in American society when it comes to both political issues and issues that have become political that really shouldn't be. That both sides have been playing off the worst argument that the other side has. So they team they demonize the other side by using their worst argument. But I, I don't think this and is as a way to completely discredit. Them. I, I I agree with you, but mm-hmm. I don't think this is people's fault. I think this is, um, I guess this is a good time to kind of shift to the borders argument. Okay, let's do it now. Uh, this is something that I wanted to do and bring up, but uh, to hear the point you just brought up, Richard, which is, um. Douglas Murray, um, who is, do you know Jake? Yes. He's a, he's a, um, an English... I think he's Irish. Irish yes. intellectual. Yes. Um, there's, there's a debate. Let me, let, me, let me frame the context of what we're talking about. There's a debate between Jordan Peterson, who's a clinical psychologist from the University of Toronto, Sam Harris, who's a neuroscientist, I believe, from UCLA. I'm not 100% sure. And Douglas Murray, who I, he's a brilliant intellectual. I just don't know uh, his backstory. And they have a debate on. It's mainly focused on um, morality and a lot of the stuff we've been touching on. Uh, a lot yeah. of the stuff we talked about. But the last twenty minutes of that debate, it's it's you can look it up in Google. It's uh, we'll put the link in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. Please do. It's it's the one they have in Dublin. The yes. last twenty minutes, they have a wonderful discussion about borders. It's it's really illuminating, uh, right? So yeah. so it's 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 touching on immigration, but it, it touches deeper than that. Mm-hmm. And and in this discussion about borders, Douglas Murray brings up the point about how we are not prepared to deal 
with the information age. There's uh, the border between public and private discourse is quickly disseminating. Yeah. To the point where it's very dangerous to bring out new ideas. Because you can throw out ideas and hypothesize and, and, you know, can you imagine this? Can you pretend this? What if, what if, what if? But it's dangerous because it's easy to be misinterpreted or to be labeled as something that you're not. And we don't know how to handle this correctly. Well, and it's increasingly likely that you'll be caught on record somehow. I mean, uh, even if you're amongst friends, there's there's no guarantee that somebody doesn't have their smartphone pulled out and right. videotaping. Uh, right. So we, we willingly subject ourselves to being recorded to everything, but uh, mm. so so this this debate about uh, immigration, right, mm -hmm. uh, uh, looks at the both the, really the two extremes you see. Uh, in today's society, here in the U.S. at least, which is from the left side, you get that borders are in principle a sign of selfishness mm -hmm. uh, and xenophobia and unearned privilege, right? Right. And that if you shine light on any refugee uh, and if you put yourself on their shoes, you wouldn't hesitate to act precisely how they're acting, right? It, you know, we see this caravan from Honduras making Correct, itself up yeah. to the United States. Mm -hmm. If you take just single out one person and, and, and really study what's driving them to come to the United States, violence, poverty, lack of work, lack of, uh, lack of opportunity, and I put myself in their shoes, I understand. I understand the need to want more, right? And then the left thus claims that we should, you know, at least do our best to get rid of these barriers these these yeah. these barriers that we're putting in between people and well and at, at its most extreme it says the barriers are arbitrary to begin right. with yes, right exactly. i totally agree yeah. so and then on the other side there's the right which says that uh we just can't feasibly open up borders indefinitely uh you know influx of immigration would reach a point where the well-being that they're seeking in the first place would diminish to the same level or even worse to the one that they were escaping in the first place. Right. There's no nation without borders. Right. Mm -hmm. And there, there's no prospect of improvement if there is right. no nation. So, so this is what yeah. Douglas uh, Murray in that debate talks about. Yeah. You know, mercy and justice. Yeah. And and really, it's a marriage between the two because if you just take one side alone, you're doomed. Yes. It's just blind justice, especially in this topic you're not going to get anywhere and just mercy open-handed mercy is equally dooming mm -hmm. yes no i I'm, I'm fully with it right i i think that this idea of borders though too is apt to everything that we've been talking about for the entire conversation right right so so so, so again you know what i really enjoyed about this is um jordan peterson Mm -hmm. talks about how we can't really be that hypocritical about borders. Mm -hmm. uh, and then he gives examples of borders that I hadn't even thought about myself, which is your skin, yeah, your room, your house, your community, your city, your state, your family. They're borders yeah. within borders within borders. Right. And they have reasons for existing. Right. Right. So, so we really have to think about this. You know, it's not simple. Uh, and, and, and this is this this kind of connects to what you were just saying. 
religions impose a set of borders on themselves, right? Mm. And then I guess science is too eager to break into that border. Right. And, and, and here's where I concede, and I agree, where this is a slow, gradual process. Mm-hmm. If science, say, today was to topple all religions and claim sole authority of morality and religion, it would fare no better. Because there's just so many things we just don't know. Right. Well, I mean, if you didn't think that the devouts were going to resurrect those borders overnight back up uh-huh. and perhaps fortified stronger, like two times stronger, right. you'd be sorely mistaken. I mean, right. uh, Jordan, Jordan makes a great point where he says, we all love the idea of welcoming in refugees, but you have your apartment. You, wanna, you want them to come stay in your living room for one night? Two nights, two weeks, two months. Like, how long do you want to have those refugees in your living room mm-hmm. staying there? I mean, and, and so... And it, it, it can also be that you want them indefinitely, and that's fine. But you but, still have to... Uh, there's a limit. Well, you have to make it a prescriptive... What? what, uh, what? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you have to make your precision prescriptive. I right? guess we also It's not have, just what's good for you, what's we would good for also, everyone. Exactly, and we would also have to set the... What are the, I mean, we do have an asylum uh, system in place. Asylum. Asylum, thank you, thank you. Mm -hmm. We have an asylum system in place to accept people who are in need. Yes. Right? But if if you're discontent with either its restrictiveness, uh, we have to be honest about what it is that you're seeking uh, to include. Because if, if if, if a claim of violence, joblessness, insecurity, hopelessness, it's all that is needed for you to be accepted into a first world country, then 90% of the population of the world has a claim. Uh, And again, another thing that has to be considered is also the privileged geographical position of the United States. In its northern border, it has the longest unpatrolled border in the world, which with Canada. The longest contiguous yes. on patrol um, yeah, yeah. yes and then on the so it only has to deal with with mexico because it has sure. the pacific to the west and to the east Correct. it has the atlantic yes, yes. so it, it's in a very privileged position to make the claims it does accept everybody with open arms i don't know if some some country like china could implement the same policy and let's assume just for argument's sake assume that today the government of china was exactly identical to the United States. This is not true. This is just for argument's sake. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, China has a border with 15 nations. Exactly. Which is why I specified It would be yeah. unfeasible for them to conduct themselves in the exact same manner as they are here in the United States. Well, they pose more yeah. ideological problems than the United States does. And the United States poses substantial ideological problems because... The government of Mexico and, and much of South America is not in line with the core tenets of the United States government. Mm-hmm. But we're not even separated by as many language and, say what you will, religious barriers that China is. Mm-hmm. China is tasked with tremendous barriers in just core belief systems. I mean, they also have 1.1 billion people, but um, we... We should. I think one of the big problems. I don't know. I think one of the big problems with the. What are we calling it? Caravan. The, yeah. The, uh, well, the it's not. Caravan. It's not we, but 
Yeah. I mean, what is what is what's, Everyone's what's calling it being it the called? Caravan. The caravan. Yeah, the yeah. migrant caravan. Okay. Yeah. I meant we as you know, the people. Anyway, uh, <laughs> the migrant caravan. I think a big problem is the fear of the unknown. We, Absolutely. Nobody yeah. knows who. Nobody knows exactly who is coming. Exactly why they're coming, and one of the reasons we don't know this is because nobody's going down there to ask the people in the caravan. But uh, you know, Richard, here's where I disagree yeah. with you, because that's again that's fear politics. No, I'm saying that we don't know. That's why you're able to use the fear politics. Uh huh. That's okay. where the fear that, politics that, come that, in. Well, it seems like a self-justifying right, but position, there's but. there's claim, but there's claims is are uh, mm-hmm. are there members of MS13 trying to sneak in through here? Mm-hmm. There's well, that's no way to, of confirming. But that's that. when you have to trust well, you, your your internal institutions. You trust President Trump. There's Middle Easterners in there, right? That's <laughs> and he's already he, he's already come out and said. But you know, to me, that means I don't nothing. know. I don't have any proof that they're I, there. I, no, I know. I, 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 I know. I know what you meant. Yeah. I, I know. I know. But no, like, I, what I'm saying is, I think the big problem is we don't know what's going on right now. Right. All we see is a line a mile long and ten people wide uh-huh. moving towards our no, borders, right. and that's terrifying. You're right. It just is right. I mean, yeah. and this goes back to something we were talking about much earlier in the episode, uh, which is that this is something that's innately built into our hindbrain, which is when we encounter other tribes, when we encounter people that are different from ourselves, we're programmed to think that they are going to induce some kind of deadly disease that we're uncultured to, and it's going to wipe us out. Now... Is that an outdated response to people? Absolutely. Is it wrong? Yeah, it's completely wrong. But uh, we should evaluate people on an individual basis. This is something that I've always advocated. Um, but what do you see, again, like you said, this this mile-long, 10-person-wide caravan coming towards the United States? Yeah. I mean, and even if you let your logical frontal cortex take over, yeah. there, there are practical concerns about what can we really offer all these people. So, yeah, and, and I guess in defense of the right, again, I'm neither left or right. Remember, I'm just taxed without representation. <laughs> He's just taxed without representation. <laughs> but but in defense of the right, and this is something that Jordan Peterson points out, is that just because you are nice and empathetic does not mean you're right. No. And uh, Samuel Harris uh, elaborates on this point a little bit more, which is that uh, we know from science that empathy diminishes in a linear fashion uh, as you increase the number of people you empathize with. So if, if what he argues is this, if I just give you the right story about the right little girl, about the right conditions and how much she's suffering, and I uh, transmit it on national television, mm-hmm. it's going to get the maximum <clears throat> amount of uh, positive reaction from its viewers. Yeah. People are going to feel really connected and they're going to want to do something. Right. Uh, however, uh, the more you uh, add to that little girl, so you say, oh, she has a brother and a family and a community and a whole town, and then you reach the hundreds and thousands of people, that empathy that people feel slowly starts to decrease, which is, a, I think it's an extraordinary phenomenon. I don't know why it happens, Right. If you if you show me right now a video of a starving kid in in, in Ethiopia, I'm gonna connect more than if you just throw me a fact that twenty thousand children die daily of hunger. Which really it's irrational. I don't know. It doesn't make. It's sense. completely irrational. Right. right, right. So so uh, I think it, some of it has to do with being face to face with the one individual child. Right. So so yeah. so the whole or, point. I mean, if you that, showed me fifteen a picture of fifteen kids. 
it still would not have out. the same effect as if I just showed you one. And that's what science okay. has shown. And then, and then the whole point he's trying to bring home is that we don't know how to deal with this discrepancy. No. We have no idea how to, the media doesn't know how to handle this professionally. Because it will always go for that single kid's story because it elicits more viewers than the actual complex reality. Well, this is, this is a huge problem with uh, how we make policy as well. I mean, I think that there's a tendency to view conservatives or people on the political right as heartless because they're obsessed with numbers and statistics and uh, bottom lines and, and, and spreadsheets. You know, how much did this cost? How many people got lifted out of poverty last year, you know? And then it's easy to come with an emotional plea about, you know, so-and-so is putting their daughter through college and they're feeding their three adolescent children on food stamps every month. And, uh, that's the tension. That's the reason that the left and the right need each other, really, honestly, is to, to keep each other humble in their own biases. No, and I think this is also uh, a symptom of... I, I don't know if this is the correct terminology, but of American privilege. Because I think what Americans don't understand is that uh, whether you ask right, left or right, and they'll give you, you know, what's the most important thing to fight for, and they'll give you free speech, equality, whatever. You cannot have either if you don't have stability. Mm. Stability is the most important thing. Because there's other countries that offer even more rights and protections to their citizens across the world. But without stability, you get nothing. Absolutely nothing. Well, it sounds like you belong to the political right. Because I've always said, the ability to grant rights is the ability to remove rights. And sure, there are plenty of more Scandinavian countries or Nordic countries that offer more rights. But the fact that they can hand out rights willy-nilly from administration to generation to generation means that they are equally capable of stripping those rights away. And I think the fact that we have preserved a pretty much core decalogue of 10 rights in the Bill of Rights over so many years without trying to dilly-dally around with it too much means that you can pretty much rest assured, know that you'll wake up tomorrow and those rights will still be there. I mean, just let's, let's finish off with this okay. anecdote. Um, this is something that really impacted me throughout my life. While I was living in France, I met some people who were part of like a, a club that was collecting funds for a school in, in Bamako, Mali, in um, Northwest Africa. Mm -hmm. I joined and I got to travel with them and I got to live uh, for about like three weeks with a local family mm -hmm. in Bamako. Um, it's a predominantly Muslim country but uh, I, I stayed with a Catholic family. Just It was purely coincidental. This goes back to this. I can't. It, I always keep gravitating back to the Catholic Church. For better or worse, uh, yeah. Anyways, long story short, the whole, the, whole, the whole reason I'm telling you this is because you have this country, uh, the nicest people I've ever met, but it's just there's complete and utter misery. I mean, you see poverty here, and you see violence, and in Colombia, it's even stronger. But... He, for the first time I was exposed to human misery you would see people laying on the floor skin and bone not knowing if they were alive or dead there were places I went to where there were babies crying by themselves with their bellies inflated uh, I mean after I left a few years later there was that whole 
you know, uh, situation where France had to step in because there was this Islamist radicals trying to take over the country. Yeah, I remember this. And then I, I came back to the United States, uh, and it was almost like a reverse culture shock, mm-hmm. where I was supposed to go back to paying twenty dollars for cover to go to a nightclub and paying fifteen dollars for uh, Long Island, and it really shook my core mm-hmm. uh, and it made me reevaluate and, and, you know, for, for, you know, I used to be a, a, a hardcore critic of the United States imperialist uh, uh, politics, but, you know, every time I was filling up the tank and I saw that American flag, and, you know, I'm not an American citizen, but I'm happy I'm here. I'm happy. This is the system I have. And I'd rather a thousand times be fighting over equality and freedom than for basic needs. So you guys yeah, I I'd, I'd, I'd uh I'd complain about, I'd rather complain about a twenty dollar cover to feel secure. Yeah. Yeah. Any and night of the week. Baby Stark. Yeah. I'm yeah. With you. Uh, it, All right. So but um, again, and, and let us say. And, and, and uh, here's here's something that I think the the right has to listen to the left, which is, the stability you feel, on this side of Chicago, is not the stability felt throughout the entire city. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's a, a whole nother episode, yeah, that's a my huge friend. problem. No, I, no, I agree. I'm totally willing to say that I don't have a good answer to that right now. Yeah, and let's let's leave it at that. Yeah, let's leave it that, at that because gonna, that's yeah. a whole can of worms. Yeah, um, I do want to get into. Is there such thing as secular morality? Secular morality. So we talked about this a little bit earlier. We talked about David Hume. We talked about how do you get from what is to what ought to be. I don't see a clear path. I don't see how you can. I think that even with perfect information mm-hmm. and the most, let's just say all of our brains work as the perfect utilitarian machines and we can constantly walk around assessing which action is better than the rest and that we store that information perfectly. And who's to say that's not the way the brain works? Maybe it is. Even if it were, I don't think that you can crunch all of that information and get perfect data that will give you a normative answer to a question. You can't move forward saying this is better than that. Because even at the most baseline level, and this is the the case that Sam Harris makes, is that human well-being is the answer to moral questions and that you can imagine the worst possible universe where everyone's suffering the most and that any move away from that is a moral move. Mm-hmm. But I don't. I think that he presupposes what human well-being means and that there's no intrinsic reason as to why human flourishing is a moral good. Right. Yeah. So, so that's, my, that's my objection. And I, I think that's a hard thing for atheism so, so, so to for, overcome. Let, let, let me touch on this first. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Atheism is not a belief system. And okay. I, I, know, I know you I, know this, but I'm just yeah. putting this out there. Atheism simply claims that there is not no theist. There is no evidence for a theist belief in God, right? Okay. That also doesn't mean that we are against those beliefs. That would be an anti-theist and sure. atheism is just that he's, you know, not convinced. Uh, that was a misnomer for yeah. me to say. No, that's fine. Yeah. 
So, so the reason I say this is not because of what you said. The reason okay. I said this is because this. religious people usually approach the issue uh, as if atheism was a collective organization of beliefs, morals, right, and values, right, right. and that's not true. Sure. One atheist such as myself can can just simply not believe in a theist god and have completely different uh, moral values uh-huh. than uh, you know another atheist I see down the street. Yeah. So that's the first thing. The second thing is it would be a lie. Uh, it would be incredibly arrogant for an atheist to claim that religion has nothing to say about morality. Mm-hmm. Um, because even I, who claim to be an atheist, cannot deny the fact that I was raised with Christian moral values. Right? Yeah, I, I think this would be a good time to say what I told you when we were when we took a little break, which is before I came to law school, I was utterly more convinced of secular morality and the fact that I dismissed God as a joke and I laughed at people that still believed in God or institutional religion. I came to law school and law school is good for nothing else but making you rethink everything you thought you knew. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to do that with any kind of scrutiny or consistency without turning the camera lens inward, which is what I was telling you. And after I started law school, maybe after the first year or so, is when I really began to rethink all the presuppositions I had about the fact that religion was a hoax and it was all a lie. And I think part of that is growing up Catholic. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's it's more attractive and cool to think that you know, Catholicism is just a bunch of bunk hoagie, you know. Uh, so really, I've come back and I'm much more gray on the question now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, that that's a big part of it, but... For any for any atheist to claim that it's definitely not the case that our current society and our current system of morality has nothing to do with Judeo Christian values. I mean, we can we can say we can speculate that perhaps the same system of morality would arise right. without Judeo Christian values, but we can't say for certain. Yeah, because certainly the American system of law. So so I think okay. one of the or the greatest document ever written was the Constitution of the United States of America. Um, has, does it have its flaws? Sure, it has its flaws. But it had the hindsight to foresee uh, the necessity to reevaluate itself through the ages. Mm-hmm. So right, they made it, uh, put they yourself made it. in the context of you know when the Constitution was drafted. and You, know, you look at these uh, the fathers of, of the nation... Um, it's just intellectuals. I think it's for the first time it was, you know, scientists, lawyers, and, you know, innovators. Uh, it wasn't really just politicians. Mm-hmm. And they were trying to escape the tyrannical rule of Great Britain and the monarchy. Uh, but that doesn't mean that some of the founding fathers still had uh, um, old views of the world. Whether it doesn't have to be good or bad, both, you know, whether it was religion or slavery. But I think what was great about this document is that it was able to incorporate all these sets of beliefs, right? Because to say that the Constitution is perfect is, I think, it's erroneous. I mean, if you look at um, Professor Perea, which you guys had in the first podcast, um, he talks about the Constitution 
having racial elements. And I think he, I agree with him. It has racial elements. It does not mean that it's a, I, I don't go as far as to agree that it's a, a racist document, but it has racial elements to it. You can't, you can't deny it. But I what think I, I granted in that part of the it, argument. It, it yeah. says that black people are three fifths of a person. Yeah, that, it, it says all these things that yeah. you cannot, you cannot hide from that fact. Yeah, right, right. But what Hope I like slavery. is that it had the hindsight to create a system for the first time, revolutionary, right? Mm-hmm. That it could, like evolution. This is what I like about evolution. Its members could peer review and assess the current situation and adapt. It can adapt. Yeah. What the United States is today is not what it was 50 years or what it was 100 years or what it was 150 years, right? So when you try to restrict that adaptability, that's what worries me. I, yeah, I don't dispute any of this. Yeah. So, I, uh, I think the, yeah, I think the brilliance of the founding fathers was they may have been rich, pompous, white farmers, but they were smart enough to know that they, they, were, they knew that there were things that they didn't know. And that's why they left the amendment process into the Constitution. Well, but I, I want to they bring this back to yeah. religion. Okay. Okay. I mean, so the question isn't, is the Constitution great? Because <laughs> I think it sounds like we're all in consensus that yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it does the best that... <laughs> we could do a whole episode on this. At yeah. least it's the good that we... It's the best that we can have. Right. So yeah. so let me tie this to, to the could, subject... But could the Constitution exist without Christianity or Judeo-Christian right. values? Right. So, so let me tie this, let me tie this to, to what we're talking about. Yeah. And at some uh, point, I wanted to jump sh- here. Sure, yeah, sure. At, at some point, I wanted to jump here, and there's two different branches of atheism. There's positive and negative atheism that I don't think you touched on earlier, but go okay. ahead. So, so that's a really valid sure argument, the, I think. Right. Um, right. Again, viewing it from a scientific worldview, uh-huh. there's absolutely no evidence that you can have a secular state, a functional secular state, without Judeo-Christian values. There is no evidence. Now... Here's my criticism, though. Right. The Judeo-Christian values that were present at the time that the Founding Fathers implemented the nation are not the same as they are today. Correct. Right. So that's one criticism. The other one is just because there's correlation does not equal causation. We know that. Yeah, right? that's, uh, that's the uh, easy one. That, yeah. Again, I hear people say this constantly, like, oh, there were uh, Christian scientists and, and the Enlightenment age grew out of a uh, religious environment, thus religion played a huge role. No, not really. It's, <laughs> it's, that, that's that's just that's the It's kind of like saying it's yeah. kind of like saying uh, most religion, most uh, scientific discoveries were made by men. Thus, you know, we need men in science. That makes no sense whatsoever. Right, right, right. right. Absolutely, it well, makes that's no crazy. Sense. Yes. So, so, uh, but it is still, it is still interesting. And here's the other thing, though. Right. The United States is what it is today, through a gradual process of self-criticism, right? Yeah, and you're so, going to draw the analogy to the scientific method. Not so... Right, right, I did that already. Right. But it's not so much that. It's that the United States and other countries are trying to impose the system as is today into developing countries without taking into consideration that it was an arduous, complicated process to achieve it. Mm. If you look at the United States history, it's violent, man. It's violent. Yeah, 80 years... Well, yeah, and, and I mean, depending on what historical through lines you draw it was even more violent and more bloody yeah, before so, so it even let, reached let me just give you, let me give you a simple example americans love to criticize china for tibet right they love to criticize china for tibet i don't love but, it but but whenever i don't know much about that whenever so tibet and china has had like a shaky i mean i, I know the broad strokes right have had like a shaky yeah 
relationship Sh- where you, you, you can go back five, six centuries and you, yeah. China could have a legitimate claim to Tibet and there's also claims that Tibet could be as a sovereign state. But here's two fallacies. The first one is that China has no claim to Tibet. Again, historically, it does. And if you look at the United States and you make the analogous claim as it did to Hawaii, it's the exact same situation. Hawaii was its independent kingdom. Yeah, well, but we paid a shitload of money for no, Hawaii. No, we didn't. Um, we overthrew them. We overthrew the, the Hawaiian uh, monarchy. Uh, um, in the same way that the Chinese government overthrew the Tibet government. And e- even even if what you're claiming is true, say we paid a, a tremendous amount of money, that doesn't justify overthrowing a monarchy and then claim sovereign uh, uh, a land that you have no real justification for. Again, I'm not saying that it's wrong. I'm just saying that you have to be intellectually honest mm-hmm. because that's the same exact thing that China is doing. And the other, the other thing is that people tend to claim that the Chinese government is oppressing the Tibetan people. Yes, in a sense. It doesn't mean that... To, here's the thing. Here's the thing I criticize. Uh-huh. A lot of people think that pre-communist China, Tibet was this paradise of, no, we have we have Chen, of equality Chen and who freedom was of speech. And everybody song. was happy. Uh, no, it was a patriarchal it was society. Yeah, no, I know. Uh, with serfdom, yeah. some would claim slavery, others would claim serfdom, uh, and it didn't fare any well off. So I'm not yeah. I'm not justifying either that thank God the Chinese came and saved, but I'm also not saying Tibet should be free because it had such a great thing going on. No, I, they have the easy job now of just making themselves look as peaceful and Buddhist as possible. Right. Um, so, we, yeah, well, Americans try to take a moral high ground with a lot of things. That right, we, right, right. Especially but, in situations but, 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 that we me, don't but, quite so understand. So let's bring this back. Yeah, let me, let me bring but, this yeah. back. Let me bring this back. So, so this is the same thing that you see in religion, right? Mm-hmm. You see these inconsistencies when it comes to morality. Mm-hmm. And they only shift through time, not so much by their will doing. That's what they want you to believe but it's through social pressure because times change. Bringing back to the example of shrimp. At some point, it was thought in the Jewish community that eating shrimp was a sin. Still. Yes. Yeah. And it still is, but it was, it was a serious sin. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. And at some point, people started to question. Well, I guarantee you that some people had a bad time because they questioned it. Nowadays, you can freely question it. It's okay to question it. It's not a debate. If, I, if, if, if you go and have a debate with a rabbi about you know the sinfulness of eating shrimp it's not going to go anywhere because he's not going to make a big deal about it if you if you bring up homosexuality that's another issue if you bring up apostasy that's another issue well yeah. more more so so, Islam, so yeah yeah uh so i mean well well <clears throat> go ahead i'll let you finish your point what do you mean by islam if like well apostasy is punishable by death yeah, yeah. so i i agree with that uh Actually, if if you look at uh, demographics of religious, uh, uh, how you say this, religiosity, Religi- religiosity, Re- religiosity uh, among countries throughout the world, the ones that high, uh, rank the highest are uh, Muslim states. You see, Saudi Arabia, Iran, they're always like in the 99th, 98th, 97th. Because you die if you don't. That's the point. Right. The it's it's not only like it's a, it's not only a religious sin. It's a criminal offense. Crim- it's a Sharia law. It's a criminal offense. And and I'm not I'm not making this up. I've looked this up. I've looked up at the constitutions of. There's actually a study by the uh, 
Library of Congress, I think it's 2012, 13, I don't remember, but they, they talk about... It's recent enough. Right, so even countries that you think are liberal, like Morocco, right? Right, they don't, which is mostly there's French no, there's, rule. Right, right there's yes. no death penalty for apostasy. But again... But if your daughter's right, you're okay to kill her. The high, uh, there's, I forgot that's the technical term, but there's a high Islamic court. That's the only sole authority to interpret uh, religious uh, issues. And they claim that it's a sin and it, there's there can't be repercussions. So it's, it's only like, like, like we've been talking about. Yeah. So yeah, there's a, also, if your daughter's raped, you can kill her. From, from, it's true. Yeah. It's just true. Wait, what did you say? If your daughter is raped, you are free to kill her. Uh, well, I don't know if that's the case for Morocco. It is. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, but I've heard of that. I heard that even... It's, that's here's, true across the Islamic world. Here's the sad thing, though. But it's 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 not even, though, not that sure it's it's criminalized. Because even if it's not, it's that you're, you're teaching people that, that... Okay, maybe it's not criminalized, but is it punishable if you do it? I don't know. That's a... I don't know. It's essentially the same question yeah, asked two different ways. I don't know the answer to what you're... It's not. Saying. So... You can do it. I mean, some uh, of the nicest people I know, especially here at Loyola, uh-huh. are Muslim. The problem, though, is that I think that they can be the way they are because of where they are um, in the United States. It's a secular state. Uh-huh. And this is this kind of goes back to... I'm not picking on Islam because this is also true for Christianity, especially if you look at the middle of the medieval ages when uh, Catholicism had its uh, highest peak of political grasp. Yeah, I mean, well, we could we could all flog ourselves for there's, things that people did a hundred years right, ago. But it's, but it's not about that. We're talking about what's happening in the modern right, world. What I'm trying to say mostly is, Islamic right? What, what I'm trying to say it's a lot of people nowadays try to focus on Islam, right? Because of the current situation, right? Yeah. But I think it has to do with uh, secular beliefs and 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 rights because that's what we have here now. When we didn't have secular rights, Catholicism was. Even worse, you know. Uh, perhaps. I mean, that's a, that's a counter argument that I can't possibly rebut because it would have me just speculate. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, Constantine, sure. I mean, uh, I, sure. Was Christianity was, at was, one point was, spread was, by the was, sword? Yeah, of course it was. Most religions about, were spread I'm just by the about sword. The rule of law too, based um, on Christian principles. It was bad. I mean, again, but just all right. Look at the but history. my argument is that we are still living in a rule of law based based on Christian principles. Uh-huh. I mean, so this brings me back to the point that I was going to make before, which is, what is the intrinsic value of a human being? What's okay. the intrinsic value of reason? Let me. Let me. Let I mean, me, human reason is worth nothing me, if not for some intrinsic good. Let me give you a hypothetical. Okay. Assume for okay. a second that there was a, a, a um, for some re- for just just for argument's sake. Yeah. That you have the exact same constitution uh-huh. of the United States. Yeah. But it was founded on Muslim principles. Okay. I think it would be just as successful. And that's that's just my belief. Because it's not the Judeo-Christian principles that got it this far. It's the secular protection of, 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 of government from any influence of religion that, that has gotten that has made it able to get this far. I don't agree with that. I think yeah. the... the enlightenment played a key role in america's success right, but the enlightenment has nothing to do with religion if actually it's 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 yeah, yeah. pulling away from christianity you see right but the pulling away christianity and judaism went through that there was a pulling away there were different sects that were created the islam has never gone through an enlightenment. yeah they, i mean there was the a reformation age of islam 
while you know Europe was stuck in the dark ages, Islam was the pillar of knowledge and wisdom. Right. right? Most of the foundations of mathematics yeah, what was the we quality have today of the, yeah, a bit, are from. I I don't dispute that. I mean, but okay, so we have a few different strains of arguments going on here. Yeah. I mean. Let's did, just, did, let's, did Judaism and Christianity undergo a reformation because of the Enlightenment? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Has in, has Islam got, undergone a comparable Enlightenment? Uh, reasonable minds could differ. I mean, reasonable minds. If you read Bernard Lewis, he's more of an Orientalist, but uh, I think he's a great historian. Okay. Um, he would argue not. What is an Orientalist? Uh, Oh god, that's a whole. That's literally another three hours. But Bernard Lewis, I think he's a good historian. He but is I, I, highly contested as a historian. But um, I tend to disagree. I think it but, has. The, the, if you look at countries like Jordan and Lebanon, I think they're a good example. However, I can also see. But, okay, but there, but there is an entire. Okay, but let, let, let's talk about Hold the on. whole Islamic world. Jordan and Lebanon, a good example of what? Of. Huh? Islamic countries that do not currently embody a lot of the values that we would call antithesis to the Western that, values. No, that embodies secularism. Yeah, but, but, that, okay, but it, what, you know, really what we're talking Indonesia's about are good. values that Wait, are antithesis Jordan and to the... embody secularism? Is that the, what well, they embody, but they do not embody values that we would call antithesis to Western values, but they are Islamic countries. Yeah. Okay, I look, look, we, I, 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 in Jordan. Yeah, I, I think we sidetracked like, let's just but agree this is, to this is a, this is a full-throated conversation okay all right let's keep going but like in the enlightenment was important okay because yeah the was. enlightenment went through a period of secular like and it pretty much led to the french revolution yes. where we beheaded all the aristocrats um and then voltaire who was one of the great minds of the enlightenment era came out and said even if God does not exist, it makes a lot of sense to invent a God to police ourselves. So even Voltaire, who was one of the great minds behind the French Revolution and in the Enlightenment era, came back and said that we need some sort of higher authority with which we should constrain these Enlightenment values. So if that didn't lead to some sort of influence on the French Revolution and to American thought, I mean, Thomas Jefferson was in France around this time. Uh, I don't know what better argument I can make in terms of how Enlightenment values and Judeo-Christian values eventually led to the success of the Americas. Okay. Um, I just don't have... Also, I, I don't I, make that strong link between Judeo-Christian values and Enlightenment, but, you know, again, I, I see where you're coming so from. I think a, a reasonable minds can differ on this. Reasonable so minds I think that uh, there's a point here that you... Um, with post-Enlightenment... Judeo-Christian values, the, one of the bigger issues that's often overlooked is that it taught people to treat religion seriously without taking it by the letter of the law. Yeah, I mean, well, there... I don't agree with that. There are plenty of people Let's that get are... get into it. There are plenty of people that are of faith now mm -hmm. that don't believe that if man lies with man, they should be stoned in the middle of the street. Like, that's just a, no one takes that, literally, very few people here, and in, uh, in... To me, the, the greatest single invention is separation of church and state. I don't disagree with separation that. Separation of church and state. Because in this country, you can believe anything, you can preach anything, and you can still 
live without fear of being prosecuted. You, yeah, you could live with fear and uh, without fear of impunity, but uh, I think one of the important parts in separation but, of church state is that they is again this letter of the law. It's it with there's a you're not dealing with you. You're able to believe whatever you want to believe as long as it doesn't turn into action. I agree with that. As long as it does not affect negatively someone else's life. I agree with that. That I mean, I'm, I'm 100% on board. I think that's one of the most co- most important core tenets of our country. Well, I mean, perhaps that is one of the lessons of the Enlightenment era. Yeah. Right, yeah, right. I mean, like, we, we, we took it to the logical extreme where we were decapitating the aristocrats in the street and letting their, brun, like their blood run through the cobblestone, but... I mean, somehow that got from there to where we now are able to swing our fists around so long as it doesn't hit somebody else in the face, right? Right. We can believe whatever we want. And it goes, yeah, and it goes back to a, we have, we're not taking these things seriously. That's why there was a separation of church and state, is because the the, the founders knew that these are things that we not, are not going to take by the letter of the law. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. as long as we're going to be continually confused over what exactly this means, we will not build a government based on this. But the morality around the government was based on it. That's where the thou shalt not kill that show, that, that's where all that comes Look, in. This is, this is, I guess, I'm just trying to sum up my, my, my view on this. <laughs> There's uh, a point I haven't made for like 30 minutes. I've tried to get back to. Every society has tried to rule by religion, mm-hmm. to make religion the rule of law. And in all instances, it has failed. It has failed miserably, and the greatness. But it's never really been tried. The greatness. Sorry. The greatness of this country, is I think, in my view, is that it acknowledged that truth, and created a system, that you can have a functional government, without the intermeddling of religion. Yeah. That's it. That's my whole point. Let's get to free will. All right, I agree. All right. With that. I, just so we don't go till midnight. Real quick, let me jump back here. Oh, you, okay. you you mentioned this is a point that you made about thirty minutes ago that I never jumped back to. You said atheism. Um, I believe you said that there's it's not a disbelief in the existence of deities, but does not explicitly assert that there isn't one. Um, wait, can you rephrase that? Let again? me Sorry. let me just say you yeah. you said that that atheism doesn't discount God and just there's no explicit belief that there is a God. So there's actually two branches of atheism. One is positive atheism, which is a, it says positive atheism is a form of atheism that asserts that no deities exist. The strong, the positive atheist explicitly asserts the non-existence of gods. Some positive atheists further assert that the existence of gods is logically impossible, stating that the combination of attributes which God may be asserted to have, uh, omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence, transcendence, omnibenevolence... Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not in that camp. Okay. So, are logically contradictory, incomprehensible, or absurd, and therefore the existence of such a God is false. Metaphysical naturalism is a common well, worldview. Yeah. And then the other one is negative atheism, which yeah. says negative atheism is any type of atheism other than positive, wherein a person does not believe in the existence of any deities, but does not explicitly assert there to be none. So there are two separate branches. One I would is, say you're in the second. Yeah, you would yeah, be in the probably. negative. So, so right. let me, let me <laughs> rephrase this really quickly. It's, it's, 
there is no evidence for a god less a theist god. And I think that's the starting point. And then people start to make claims. Yes, there is. Oh, okay. How do you know? Well, we have this scripture and there's revelation and, you know, there's miracles. Okay, well, what's the basis for that? Well, if you look at this gospel, if you look at this, you know, Old Testament and look what this priest said, that's when you start to get into fishy water. So I'm just, I'm just responding to it. Mm -hmm. I'm not claiming anything other than responding to what the claims that people are making. No, no, I'm with you. And I think that actually ties back to the first point that we made in this overall conversation, which is why I started here with the, you're 99% sure. Uh-huh. Right, it's, it, there's always going to be a little ounce of doubt. That's where that's the difference between. God, that was and, so long ago. That's the yeah, right. <laughs> but that's I, the difference between positive I'm, and negative. That was when the light was when just, the sun was still. That's I've the difference between positive and negative. Met, um, scientist who claims anything is a hundred percent sure. Right. Even again, even even laws of nature that are you know quote unquote set on, in stone, you know. That's what I love talking to a scientist about. Like, you know, I'm not a scientist, but, yeah. but everything they say is couched in so much like, well, it's possible that, you know, it's, yeah. it's more, more likely than not that, uh-huh. you know, uh, the best minds in the business think this. I just I, think it's intellectual honesty. Well, I, but like it, it also lets you know what you're getting into. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but so it, let's talk about free will. So I'll, def- I'll defend my belief fervently, yeah. right? But uh, if, if I'm, I'm open to listen to what you have to say and if you show some conclusive evidence to the contrary I'm willing to accept it yeah I've got a buddy who's in med school who's he always had a brilliant scientific mind and one of the things that I've, I've talked to him about is he says uh, he'll he'll always say anytime he's about to tell me anything is you know we believe this is fact until we're proven that it's not yeah so that's, that's I, I agree with that 100%. it's like the four humors yeah. or uh but what, what did they call it? Uh, when they used to feel how people's skulls felt? You're on, oh, you're, you're on your own here, Tonto. I don't okay, all right. Anyway, <laughs> so, uh, Nico. Yeah. Yeah, what's your theory of the mind? Free will or not? Okay, so my theory of free will is that free will is an illusion. I don't think there's free will. Uh, so this is exciting for you guys. Okay, yeah. All right, <laughs> how many more hours do we have? Okay, well, all right, well, we can go at least another hour. This is, a, this is an idea that I find a little... Hey, Richard, are you yeah. opening a can of worms over there? I am opening. <coughs> um, I There's there's an idea. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, we're good. All right. So this is an idea that I find a little contradictory, and I wanted to see if you could clear this up for me. Okay. You don't believe in free will. Mm-hmm. No. You also do not believe in a deity. No. So... Those are consistent with each other, I'd say. I'm confused by that because if there's nothing behind the moving the levers behind the scenes, then how is there? I, I'm confused as to I how like you can. I can almost take this how on. you can not believe in God but also not believe in free will. Because if you're of a determinist or consequentialist view, then it's basically all neurotransmitters in the mind. If I'm not mistaken. I mean, I'm I'm trying to make sure for my own edification that I understand what this perspective is. But it, it seems similar to Sam Harris's. Yes. Uh, in the sense that... It's not the same, but it's very similar. It's like your brain is constantly processing information. 
And the next thing you do is based off of all the other things in the past that you've already done. Right. And it's calculating the best next possible me like move in such immediacy and with such precision that it gives the illusion of free will. Right. Right. So, so the way I... I, it would almost be stranger to me if he believed in no de deity, but he did believe in free will. Right, I that mean, would be very strange. That would, yeah, um, that that to me would seem irrectifiable. Um, so, what I believe in, in a, in a nutshell, is if you were able to suspend the entire universe and conceive of a machine, say a, a, a computer, right? that could gather all the data there is to be known in the universe, uh, you know, dark matter, matter, any sentient being anywhere, right? And it was able to just process all that information. Mm -hmm. It would be able to predict with 100% certainty what was to happen next. So if you were to put play on that pause button, mm -hmm. And let's say I was given that information, I would be able to recite in verbatim whatever you're going to say in the next five minutes. So that's that's where I come from. Yeah, I think... So, so okay, so now that I've said this, yeah, we don't have a machine capable of doing that. Right. right. So what mm -hmm. I believe in is that although we don't have free will, we act in a way as if there was free will. Mm -hmm. And I feel that that's okay. Mm -hmm. At least for now, you know? Uh, so, I mean... Obviously, you conduct yourself in a way mm -hmm. under the illusion that there is free will. Yes. And, I mean, I feel like it's almost... It would be a contradiction to be dedicating your time to law school and this idea of justice and uh, uh, holding people accountable under a system of law mm -hmm. if you didn't believe in the idea of free will. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've heard that from people, but uh, not necessarily, because I think uh, one of the good things that can come from it is that you, especially in the realm of criminal justice, you can shift from this idea of punishment to rehabilitation. Um, also, the law is not fixed. It's constantly evolving, right? Uh, for example, last... Uh, semester I, 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 I took a class um, uh, life sciences and the law and we had to write a paper about something related to science and I, I wrote about newer imaging in the courtroom and mm -hmm. how it's this novel science that is faulty right but it's proven uh, to give us some insight into what really is going on so if you, for example, I forgot the name of the case, but if you look at the Supreme Court case that um, made it unconstitutional to give life sentences or the death penalty to minors, right? It's uh, uh, Gregory or George or, I, or something. I forgot, but yeah. Uh, yeah. The, bulk, yes. the bulk of the argument was based on neuroimaging evidence on how the brains of minors is drastically different from that of adults. Uh -huh. Now, it doesn't... Um, go as far as to say what is right or wrong but it sheds light into what is just right well i mean th but let's be honest uh -huh. if you take a deterministic view of the world there's no such thing as just really right because uh -huh. nobody can be accountable for anything 
Well, I, I, mean, I think you'd have to do infinite regressions back to the first man and woman. Like, let's just say for a point of argument, Adam and Eve, uh-huh. they were the only people that are really culpable because yeah, everything since then has just been an infinite deterministic. Yeah, this is, this is, it's tough, right? It is, right. I'm I mean, just, there's no idea of justice. Again, I'm, I'm, just because it might be inconsistent does not make it wrong or not true. So the way I see it is you're faced with this fact, right? And this is, is how I see well, What's the fact? It. Right. So for me, the fact is that uh, it all derives from the brain, mm-hmm. right? Everything. Yeah. All conscious actions derived from the brain. So there's nothing magical about it, right? Uh, this is something that uh, Darwin discovered, which was beautiful, which was the inversion of reasoning. I mean, before Darwin, it stood to reason that, you know, in order to create something you had to have something that created right and darwin was able to realize that there's this blind watchmaker as richard Dawkins puts it this force of evolution that drives uh non-thinking organic uh matter like cells that Mm -hmm. do repetitive mechanics and in the aggregate, it creates minds, um, and it creates uh, phenotypic traits you see today, which is you know uh, like a loss, like a legal system, right? So I don't, I don't think I'm the right person to say this is exactly what you have to do, because then I'd, I'd, I'd just be uh, being dishonest. But at least that's that's what I believe in, right? What to yeah, do no, next? No, 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 I don't no, no, know. No, no. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough one. Richard, go ahead. Let me ask you. I might be coining a phrase here, but um, is a core belief of this that there is no such thing as... I mean, we hear about American exceptionalism. I'm going to put the phrase it... Homo sapien exceptionalism. That we are not better than any other creature. That we are not a exceptional form. Because if that's the case, I could see the argument that there is no free will in that morality doesn't necessarily matter. Uh, monetary concerns don't necessarily matter in the grand scheme of things because grasshoppers don't have any currency. Do you get what I'm saying? So that there's nothing exceptionally about humans. There's nothing exceptional about humans. Yes, I agree. There's nothing exceptional. We are just another okay. species sharing this planet. Okay. Well, That's where I disagree with you. But, that, that, but, but that, I do understand what you're saying now. But that also dispels of the Enlightenment argument that we were having. Because the Enlightenment is all about human reason. And why human reason is a supreme... Uh, is one of the fundamental reasons why humans should be cherished. You know, no, I again, I I disagree with with him with his with stance, him. With him. but I do now understand what he's saying. Right, yeah. but it resolves okay. it resolves the argument we were having earlier. It resolves the the free will and no and absence of God. I get it now. Now it's just for yeah forces of nature <clears throat> moving you. I, okay, yes. I understand. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, Doesn't that seem it, so? I mean, where where do you personally derive meaning in your life? I mean, you have a wife. You hopefully someday hope to start a family. Yeah have a career that will give you some sort of return on your investment. I mean, Uh so how do you find meaning in a world that 
in essence, is comparable to that of the cockroach I stomped earlier? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. Um, I would like to think I ask good questions. Yeah, you do. (laughs) That's something they teach us not to do, actually, in trial practice. Don't say that's a good question. So, you know, I I, I say all these things I say, right? And it, it sounds almost pessimistic. I wouldn't say pessimistic as much as just Uh, empty. uh, uh, Fatalist. Yeah, nihilistic. Nihilistic, right. Uh, But then, you know, you go back to my original propositions, right? Which claim that um, God is created in our image, not the other way. And all these beliefs you hold, right, are a creation of our own. And if we're able to create these institutions that tell us good from bad, right? This is my belief, right? Surely I can think for myself better ways of formulating what I think is good and bad, right? I don't need this anchor of a deity to cement my beliefs of what is good is bad. Because I think, again, I think that's a little bit dishonest from my point of view because it simply ends the conversation. You know, what is being good? And then you'll say, oh, being good is A, B, C, and D. Why? Because God said so. Okay, you stop there, right? And it leaves out a numerous uh, array of human experiences that may come to light later on in life, and that's where people have a lot of contradictions. You see, you see, for example, the uh, Orthodox Christian family who really struggles because their kid dyed their hair purple. It's really like, I'm just, I'm not saying that this is like a, a Christian belief. I'm just saying that people are holding on to an idea of what they think is right and wrong so dearly that whenever something contradicts it, it's so hard for them to, to adapt or to, to, to change. So the way I see it is look at all the wonderful things we've accomplished. You know, I think we can do better, right? So yeah, I am, I guess what you were saying earlier, quoting that movie, you know, I am the master of. Not movie, it's a poem. <laughs> oh, it's a poem. The movie just had, there's also a movie that has the same title. Yeah. But yeah, Invictus. Yeah. So. William Ernest Hindley. So, does that make sense? Did it make sense? Uh, <clears throat> yeah, but I mean. So I guess, I guess a lot of the criticism I get when I say this almost, it's like, it's, you're being arrogant. You no. know. You know better. That's what I hear I from people think, sometimes. I, I actually, I felt the opposite because, I mean, over the course of this debate, you've admitted that. You are deterministic in yes. that there is no free will. Yes. And that everything is a biological impulse. Yeah. And yet, in the past 10 minutes of your rebuttal, you've I asked you how you feel accomplishment, a sense of accomplishment in your line of study and in your future line of work and in your marriage and in someday probably your fatherhood. Uh-huh. And you say that you can strive to do better. Yes. But there is no such thing as striving. Uh-huh. There is no such thing as will to do better mm-hmm. in your worldview. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it seems like an inherent contradiction. Again. And again. that, like, we can formulate these ideas to create an image of God. Yes. And that God cannot create an image of us. Let's say I buy it. But even by your own terms of engagement. Yeah. There is no creation of an image of God without some sort of deterministic bowling pin set in place to knock down all those so you know i think this is always like a a, a problem when i when i bring up the term i mean do you do you live under the delusion of something that you outwardly rebut 
I mean, so you've that's said a, that you live in a way that... That's a, that's a good question, and that's something but I... But you speak the vernacular no, no, I, of people I, that live by free I, will, I, I, don't I like, you? I like what you... Yes, in part. I cannot deny that. Yeah. I absolutely agree with you. Yeah. Because, again, I tell you, although we don't have free will, I live as we did. So it would be, I would be lying to you if I said that I don't hold to these attributes that right. I, I deep down... You're suckling at the teat of free will. Right. So, so I cannot disagree with that, right? Right. And, and you bring up an interesting point as well, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, you read about and you listen and you watch all these intellectuals that are out there today. Right. Just brilliant mm-hmm. people, right? Provocative. Right. But just brilliant people out there. Uh, and, you know, you can listen to them for hours. And at some point, they're going to say something that you adamantly disagree with, mm-hmm. Right. Someone's going to say something that, that you're just, you're not even going to say like, I don't know. You're going to say that's not right. Uh-huh. Right? And I'm sure in your life, you've had moments where you've believed something. And now you look back on it and you're like, I can't believe I believe that. Two episodes ago. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so. I'm on record. Yeah. So I constantly. So, I constantly. What? Huh? Which one was? All of them. Man, I learned everything. So, I learned at least something every episode. I constantly yeah. remind I myself. I constantly remind myself that there has to be at least one thing that I at, that I believe in that I'm wrong. I'm yes. just dead wrong. Yes. I'm yes. dead wrong. Of course. And I think that if everybody did that, it would be uh, advantageous. Um, so yes, this could be something that I'm completely wrong with. But here's here's the thing: when I bring up determinism, uh, a lot of people. Um, equated with fatalism with there's why even care right right yeah wave the white flag so i would agree with that if we had reached this level of information where we have all the variables available to us at the moment sure and let's say i had a watch that would tell me exactly what i was going to do and say in the next 10 minutes yeah yeah uh then i would agree with you Uh uh-huh but we don't. I mean, the universe is vast. It's highly complex. And here's something that Neil deGrasse Tyson, which is an astrophysicist. I think everybody knows him. We know who he yeah, is. Yeah, I've heard of him. That he, he brings up. Here's, he, here's, Sounds here's, good. Here's who his, is that? Here's what worries I like the three days. So, somebody once asked him what keeps you up at night. Uh-huh. This is what he said. We are primates, right? Mm-hmm. We are pattern-seeking primates. He didn't, I don't know if he said pattern-seeking primates, but he said we are primates, mm-hmm. right? And... Our cognitive capabilities capped by that fact, right? So our mind has a limit. So we can only understand the universe through our lenses. Now, what if there was a superior sentient being galaxies away, right? Whose level of intellect just surpasses us by, you know, an unsurpassable amount. So say like our smartest person like let's say we can bring back albert einstein and just show them why would we if we have richard right here so we have richard and we we show them richard as the exemplary intellectual i don't see why not we're screwed and and and, you know like here the, the the theory of relativity like and we show it to them and to them it's the equivalent of what we would say like a pre-k drawing like that you post on the fridge uh-huh and that scares him because <laughs> there can be so much that we will never know 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, well, I mean, that's something that, to think about. It's I mean, a brutal irony, right? Yeah. That's that's always been right. the biggest criticism of utilitarianism right. is imperfect information. So, but here's here's can I can I add to the free will? Why not? Okay. Uh, yeah, and also want to after this, I want to jump in and talk about the why you should raise your kids a certain way. But go ahead. Okay. So and then after that. I'm going to go to bed. Because okay. <laughs> we've gone long enough. Here's an interesting... Right. I, I like... Uh, 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 Daniel Dennett talks about intuition pumps. He has a book yeah, about love, intuition pumps. I love Daniel pumps. Dennett, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's uh, fantastic. So, so yeah. you should always try to think of hypotheticals that help you think. Yes. So here's a hypothetical I threw to my wife. Uh, like Which three, is always a great idea. Yeah. yeah. Three days ago. Uh, Wives and girlfriends love hypotheticals. So I was I was trying to explain <laughs> to her what I mean by we don't have free will. Uh huh. So imagine there is a person in a confined room, confined space, mm-hmm. and he's sitting down on a chair. Mm-hmm. And imagine you can make an exact copy, molecule by molecule, of the person, and replicate it in another room, instantaneously. Okay. So much so that the person wouldn't even notice that he was that he or she was copied, right? Okay. Uh, if if you if if you are of a religious incline, you would say immediately that there's a difference because you can't replicate the soul. Sure. Right? sure. I do not believe in a soul. Right. I believe that we are. It's all here. Right. Right. It's right. all organic. Mm-hmm. Right. So consciousness exactly. is of the mind. So yes. so in this other room, you have an exact copy of myself. Uh huh. Right. And and the external conditions are exactly the same. Room temperature. Uh, pressure against the chair, uh, color of the walls, everything is exactly the same, right? Mm-hmm. And then you go. My belief system would tell you that those two people would do exactly the same thing yes, until you change the external factors. That would have to be the case. Right. Yes. If from what I believe in. Now, here's something my wife brought up that I thought it was extremely interesting. She said there's something... If she's listening. I'll be uh, the judge Oh, yeah, she's probably listening. Uh, she yeah. probably fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> We're not live. <laughs> it stopped recording two hours ago. <laughs> um, so it's called stochastic, which is a, a, a randomly determined mm-hmm. uh, factor. So it's like having a random probability distribution or pattern that may be an, uh, analyzed statistically but may not be predicted precisely. Okay. So it was kind of hard for me to understand, but so what she's yeah, saying is, sense, yes, it's exactly the same person, but it could be, and she's this is not provable, but some have speculated that it could be that uh, even whatever's going on in your brain, there's although there's fixed parameters, mm-hmm. right? Of say, I'm mean, I'm going to oversimplify this, right? But you can only uh, make a decision between ten options those 10 options will be randomized. Mm-hmm. You're fixed to those, but they're randomized. Right. So although in one room you might say, ah, the other one might say, oh, and that sure. creates a ripple effect. Well, I mean, you can, you can, I set, think that's really interesting because you can set if, fixed parameters and make it impossible right. to guess. Like, if, I mean, that's, that, that's encryption codes. I mean, yeah. it's semi-prime numbers, yeah. right? Uh, there's infinite decimal. And here's, yeah, here's, yeah. um, there's a, a book by Daniel Dennett. Yeah. He just released it called, uh, from bacteria and back and back and back again or something like that. I don't know. I haven't it's, read it yet. It's how minds arise from matter. Mm-hmm. So he makes two claims, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there's two inversions of reasoning, and he says one is Darwin, which you've already extensively talked about, and the other one's Alan Turing, with computing oh, science. Okay, all right. And uh, what he says, Big what, fan. The, 
the beauty about what um, he saved the world. Yeah. What the principles of logarithms, what the, what he created, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is he showed that Enigma. you have uh, competence without comprehension. Mm-hmm. So you have these machines that are competent of computing these complex calculations, mm-hmm. and they don't need comprehension for it. Yeah, right. They're in and of themselves incoherent. Right. Yes. right. Yeah. So 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 at least Alan Turing can show how. A creator can create something, and that something can lead to a human being without any sort of intervention or some sort of right. flourishing. Right. Yeah. Well, right. Let's just say flourishing. so. So I think that's a key. That's a key principle: competence without comprehension. And that's if you if you marry that with Darwin's theory of evolution, you're you starting get... to see something like human. Right. right. Okay. So Richard, talk parenting before we end. Uh, so, <laughs> great transition, Jake. Great transition. I'm known for him. So, you said that. So, Jake asked, then what's the point of raising your children properly if there's no such thing as free will? And you said, you know, you act as if. My. I think I've figured out how to rectify this, and maybe this is just for me, and I don't really. Again, I don't really care because, you know, it's my Most show. of the I'm show is just yeah. for him. Right. That's <laughs> when Jimmy Kimmel first got this Tonight Show. There was a running joke amongst everyone in entertainment that was like, "It's not the Tonight Show. It's Jimmy Kimmel lives out his childhood fantasies on NBC." Yeah, well, you're on track for Conan O'Brien right yeah. now, so way bigger of a Conan fan. Thank you for that compliment. <laughs> all right, so all right, more referencing how he got booted, but that's fine. He didn't get booted. He quit. I don't want to get into semantics. <laughs> I don't want to get into semantics. Uh, all right, so you say that there there is no free will, but act as if, especially when it comes to raising children. So again, with the with, with the human exceptionalism thing, with the point that that you don't believe that humans are exceptional to other species, is the reason why we should raise children because properly and act as if we do have free will. Is that manifested because of a societal system that has been constructed that in the grand scheme of thing doesn't matter when it comes to human beings? Right. So it's a tough question to answer precisely without giving you a broader answer. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can narrow it down, but... Why so, bother? <laughs> Haven't been doing that all night. So, <laughs> we're all thrown... We don't have enough tape. <laughs> we're all thrown into this blue sphere in the middle of this massive universe, right? Oh, God. With, Spell it out. Baby. With no instructions as how to live, right? And then if you look, it's not surprising, if you look around the world, everybody has a different manual of how that is to be done, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this... You asked me at the beginning what would be clear and convincing evidence of there being some sort of uh, revelation. Yes. If, for example, say, Qing Dynasty and Roman Empire and the Incas, all without having communication with each other at the same time and period, received the same sort of revelation, uh, that would be pretty damn good evidence of, of the fact of, that of there the is fact that yeah, the, divine revelation yeah, yeah sure we should seriously take the revelation seriously mm-hmm. um but there is they all grew their own different systems and they all did great in some aspects and they all did horrible in some aspects i'm a big fan of hanuman so, the monkey god right so yeah. 
like spaghetti monster. Here's here's a. I was watching this debate between Sam Harris and uh, liberals should cover their ears. Ben Shapiro. Uh, <laughs> oh, was Eric Weinstein? It was it with Eric Weinstein. Uh, right? I don't know if it that's was a great Eric point. Weinstein. Over, yeah. It was just a snippet about just they were just discussing religion. Oh, okay, that was the Sunday special. Yeah. Just, just so we're clear, yeah. the the liberals cover their ears when you mentioned Sam Harris already. But go ahead. <laughs> And have, just, which is strange. Just so we're clear, he's, he's, liberals I, don't listen I, to this I, show. I, 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 I consider Sam Harris to be neither do conservatives. No one listens. I, I, consim- oh. I consider him Harris to be a moderate liberal, which is strange. But anyways, uh, yeah. I, we yeah. like to put labels a, on people and more Hillary complex supporter. than that. So what he what he tells uh, what Sam Harris tells Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro is a, a Orthodox Jew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a conservative. Orthodox Jew. Orthodox Jew. And I am the one that places uh, those labels on everyone. Go Sam, ahead. Sam Harris is obviously an atheist. Um, and we didn't really talk about the moral landscape, which is... Right. It's a shame. We'll it's have to have you back we'll, on. We'll have, okay, we'll have to have make you, you a co-host next semester. But anyways, the question... The, the, the he scenario he puts... Jewish, though, and I, he calls himself an atheist Jew. The scenario yeah. he puts to Shapiro is the following. Yeah. Is if, say, for argument's sake, you could get rid of all the knowledge we have in the world, mm-hmm. everything, both metaphysical and physical, mm-hmm. Yeah. nobody would argue that if... if Society was given a chance to continue to evolve. We would refine scientific truths, right? Yeah. Now, yeah. You know, yeah. Gravitation is not something that is revealed; it's found, right? Correct. There is absolutely no shred of evidence that we would find the exact same scriptures or or teachings that the Jewish doctrine gives us. Mm-hmm. And here's this is what I like because it puts Ben Shapiro against the wall, and he has to concede that, and he says so. Yes, the only reason. And that's why we have revelation. Correct. Yeah. Right. I've actually, so yeah, I've heard that debate, and he, he admits it pretty quickly. But it's are the moral are the moralities that are discovered through Judaism are those discoverable outside of of the religion that we know of as today, as opposed to scientific. That's right. Ben yeah. Shapiro says yes, and but says, that's why yes. you need revelation because so so what what Sam Harris is trying to get to is that everything that is good. Mm-hmm. about the Jewish faith in that context, you will eventually get to in one way or another because it's maximizing well-being. Uh, uh, so we can do, we can, we will gladly take that, but we can do with the rest. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's kind of like what I'm claiming. Sure, but, sure, sure. But would religion need, would there need to be a religion outside of science? Because... But again, could, I, it's, I think it's a fallacy to, to equate science to a religion. No, I'm saying a, would there need to be a religion outside of science in order to... In order to uh, assess. Yeah, well, just, yeah, assess or discover that morality. Can you define... Sorry, sorry to put you on the spot. You don't have to, but what do you mean by religion? Would there need to be a faith in something no. outside of science? No, that's the word I was trying to evade. Would there, so no, you don't need faith-based beliefs. That's what I think. Would there a deity? Would there need to be a belief in a deity no. outside of science in no. order to find that morality? No, that's but that's my belief, and we can have a whole discussion about this. But no. But wouldn't that be? Isn't that what we just had? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And on that note, uh, I'm Richard. For tonight, I'm Jake. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, on. I, I that, feel like we got almost that, nowhere, but somewhere. But again, it's not about being right or wrong. It's about having a discussion. I, but I feel like there was, like we we talked about everything and nothing simultaneously, right? Yeah. Like that's <laughs> I don't think that you understand that that is the entire subject matter that we were covering. 
Is everything something or is everything nothing? No. Well, like, oh my god. Bum, 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 bum